there are so many ways you have to try and get in front of someone before they get visibility and before they even think about remembering always obsessively making sure you've got the customer front of mind whoever the customer is just have to be thinking about why is this relevant to me why should i care about this so what and just because what you did worked last time doesn't mean it's going to keep working every time trying to get that that visibility so that you are front of mind when someone comes out and needs support we organizations can be so guilty of just going ahead and doing what they think is right because it's their organization and and they think they know the direction of travel and then invariably those are the companies that get left behind because they haven't listened to the voice of the customer and they haven't kept that front of mind so Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. I'm so excited for today. I am joined by an excellent marketer. That's right, a marketer, not a learning professional. And we're going to talk today and dig into the world of marketing from an external perspective. Um, I wanted to have this interview because I think there's going to be so much parity that you guys are going to see in terms of the challenges that um, my guest Laura Card has and yourselves. Um, Laura's a, a longtime friend of mine. I think we go back maybe since the beginning of my marketing career, actually. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, anyways, before I just continue to spiel about how, how much, how long we've known each other and how, what you kind of cool marketing stuff you do, Laura, do you want to introduce yourself and just give the listeners a little bit of a backdrop as to, uh, maybe your marketing career, but also what you do at the moment and where you work? Sure. So I am currently, uh, the marketing director for Manpower Group. That is one of the largest global workforce solutions companies. So we help organizations build their workforce strategies, be really clear about how they want to to build and develop out their talent. Um, so a really nice connection there with the L&D people that you tend to uh, to be engaging with and supporting. Um, in terms of my, my uh, illustrious past, um, I started with the uh, Royal Hospital Chelsea. So for those of you who don't know, Chelsea pensioners, the guys that you see in the scarlet coats at various times of year, um, was a really lovely place to start my my marketing career, um, and got a bit of a bit of direction. I was in a bit of a jack of all trades role there, and got some direction from uh, a lovely boss I had there called John Blake. Uh, put me up for a CIM diploma, um, trained in that, got some more experience, some more grounding in the marketing focus. Um, and then shifted into City and Guilds, which is where we uh, started working together and have done a few jobs since then and then been with Manpower Group for the last seven years. So been a little while now. Okay, so you're so for those that aren't well versed with the world of marketing, are you pretty much overseeing the the marketing strategy for Manpower Group? Yeah, so I work with my team to to build out and implement the strategies across the brands. So we have four core brands in the UK. Um, so it's it's a bit of a balancing act between uh, what we do across the different different areas, but we also have different audiences. So we're talking to clients in terms of what workforce strategies they need, but we're also talking to candidates in terms of what they want for their career, you know, how they want to develop, what they are looking for going forward. And we do a little bit of um, development programs within that to try and upskill people and help them progress in their careers too. Hmm, sounds familiar complicated infrastructure <laughs> lots of different things working in silo lots of different audience types and 
you know, understanding how to actually connect with those different audiences is probably the the lifetime conundrum of a marketer, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me, because we we harp on about the likes of personas, audience segmentation, you know, user decision making journeys, kind of the foundational marketing stuff like the ADA model and stuff like that. Do you guys do audience segmentation? What sort of work have you done as a, a marketing function to identify your audiences? And why do you think that that is really important? Yeah, so I, I'll split it out, if that's all right. So we've got the B2B and the B2C, and, and they're sort of a, a different beast, as it were. B2B, we're, mm. we're really clear on. We generally know who we're talking to. It depends on the size of the workforce solution that we're talking about. If we're talk- talking about a large-scale RPO or an MSP, so a perm or a temporary outplacement program, basically, um, we would tend to be very clear. We're talking to HR, we're talking to talent, we're talking to maybe the CEO sort of audience. So we're really clear in that space. When it's the smaller scale, two to five people that they're looking for support with, we're probably talking to more of the hiring manager. And in that instance, we want to be in both instances there, we want to be really sector aligned. So we're really clear about what the pain points are in those industries, how that would relate to this particular organization and what that looks like for that particular persona. So HR, L&D as, as an example there, what what is their pain point in particular in that sector, in that area, and also where they're based geographically. So a lot of the challenges with talent is around if you're based in Skegness, you're going to probably have a harder time attracting talent than you are if you're based in London and trying sure. to support them with workforce strategies around that. And then when we come to candidates, it's different all the time. So it depends whether we're talking about attracting them for specific roles. So are we talking to them about a role that we've got with one of our clients or are we talking to them about broader content, broader issues that they want to know about to help them develop in their own career Generally speaking, it's it's much more um, localized to that specific role, and we want to put a strategy together for each of those campaigns if we're attracting. So are we trying to recruit 100 people into a logistics organization, for example? What does that look like? Where do we need them to be based? What skills do we need them to have? And then building a strategy around how we go out and attract them from there. So there's a lot of shifting and changing, which is it's really exciting, to be honest, because it means you get to experiment with different things, mm-hmm. as well as the sort of core marketing that we do to talk to people about who we are as an organization and how we can support them in their careers. Perfect. So something you said there is something that I believe is the best way to market, um, which is drilling into pain points. Why do you focus on pain points when you're trying to connect with your audiences? It's a good question. I mean, I think that's what people engage with most. There's so much, and, and you'll notice, there's so much noise out there. And you look at your inbox, you look at the advertising you see on a day-to-day basis, you look anywhere and there's so much coming at people. You need to be making sure that it's really relevant to them. So if you can focus on what is a genuine pain point for them, what is keeping them awake at night, what is you know, on their mind first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening, then you can really make a connection there. And I think that's why I think that's so important uh, for an organization to really to really be clear on. Um, and that's where we make the best relationships with, with, our, with our organizations that we work with, but also with the candidates. What is it that you need to achieve? How can we make you look good, to be honest, in your mm-hmm. organization as well? Because if it's a problem for you, it's probably a problem for your boss. 
and then build that relationship and that trust as a trusted partner on both sides with the clients and the candidates. It's all sounding very, very familiar. I didn't, (laughs) I haven't prepped you, have I? I haven't said like, make sure you say this, make sure you say that. It's, you know, I think it's, it's almost exactly what, what we say on a, (laughs) on a regular basis. You know, this is pulling out the emotional drivers and people really trying to connect with them, create the illusion of one-to-one conversations, even though Mm -hmm. you can obviously cannot have that at scale. Um, And I think, you know, using pain points is, is one of the best ways to do that because, there's quite a lot of psychology and research around pain aversion anyways. People will do more to avoid pain than to pleasure. Um, and so using pain points as a key driver with your marketing strategies is a, a really effective way to connect with audiences. So you still you still have like quite a lot of different audience subsets. And it sounds like you've done a, like an incredible amount of research and actually understanding who these people are where they are and how best you can kind of reach those different individuals especially on that b2b side mm. so what what is what does that outreach look like to you do you guys have a, like an omni-channel strategy and for for those that aren't familiar with the omni-channel means it means kind of your the idea is that you're kind of everywhere and nowhere all at once <laughs> or what you know what's your kind of key strategies this year if you're able to disclose anything yeah so so we try for omni-channel as much as possible the reality is we given the number of audiences we've got we can't do that for everyone so I would say we prioritize and and we talk about that that test and learn and that evaluation of what works and what doesn't and we're we try to be very clear on with this particular audience we know we get results with x channel with this we get results with this and also just making sure that we're clear on where is driving the best returns I would say there's always room for growth there and making sure that we are getting the best return for every pound that we invest. Um, it is always a challenge in marketing, particularly when you're talking about things like brand awareness and making sure people are aware of who you are as an organization, even an organization that's been around for as long as we have, we still have to keep investing in that. And it is a challenge to show uh, show the return on that. It's getting easier as you can analyze things more clearly, but it's still a bit of a challenge. Um, but we go across the spectrum, and again, it depends on the audience that you're talking about, but we have the broader field marketing strategy where it is more of the being visible in as many places as possible, where HR in particular like to play. So are we are we in the magazines that they read, in the in the digital spaces that they play in? Are, they, are we in their inbox? Are we on their socials, et cetera, et cetera? All the usual places you would expect. But then we go down to an account-based marketing perspective where you are talking more of that one-to-one, one-to-few relationship. And we're talking about making sure that we're bringing people along to events, that we're going along to the same places that they are and really starting to develop that relationship and a deeper understanding of what that organization in particular needs and they're looking for. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that that sort of approach gives you that view of, um, you know, people depending on where they are, right? Like something you were saying there is almost you've got to go where where the audience is, right? There's no, there's none of this because what L and D do a lot is they build learning platforms, they build learning solutions, they launch them to the organization, and then expect people to just use it. Whereas you know, you and I know that we have to exert a huge amount of blood, sweat, and tears, many tears, in order to. <laughs> you know, get traction with an audience. And something you mentioned there that I'd like to dig into a bit is that brand awareness piece, because, you know, you're a big brand. You've been around a long time. Why 
do you feel it's really important to still focus on raising and elevating the manpower brand when you're quite well known? Yeah, so it's interesting you say that because we are really well, particularly the manpower brand. So manpower is our oldest brand in the UK and globally. Um, we've got Experis, which is more of an IT focus, Brook Street and, and a few other brands in there. Manpower is really well known for anyone that you speak to who is 40 plus. It's less well known hey. in the 18 to 24 demographic <laughs> where we need to be building out that understanding. And it is, it's mm. it's not resting on your laurels. It's not it's not seeing it as a tick box. Hey, we did some brand awareness three years ago and we're good. We don't need to invest in that anymore. There are always new people who are looking to come into the world of work, or at least we hope they continue to come into the world of work because otherwise a bit of a challenge for the economy, as we've seen with long-term sick and things like that recently. We need to be making sure we're making a really clear communication to them of what we can offer as a business. Recruiters can tend to have a bad reputation in terms of how they support particularly the talent we just need to be making it really clear to them what we can offer and how we can help them with that. So that's where the brand awareness is really important from a candidate perspective, from a client perspective. The market in the UK is super fragmented. And, and I think from an L&D perspective, they will find that as well in terms of the pulls on people's time in an organization is so unfocused because it's split across so many different areas. So trying to get that that visibility so that you are front of mind when someone comes out and needs support rather than just if you prompted someone they would remember you but having you really front of mind is what we're trying to get to here and what we're always striving towards yeah yeah absolutely so that when they have a need which you know because if you're just trying to hit people when they have a need you're you're going to have to just throw a lot of stuff at a wall. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Then you're competing with their decision-making process and weighing up a lot of other people. Mm. But if if you've been with them on that journey, you're visible, you're, you know, you're not pushy, you're just, you're, you're building trust and proving value to them. Then when they are ready to make a transaction, whatever that looks like for you guys or for in-house L&D, you're the first thing they think of. And that, that's, precisely what we suggest on strategy side you know I, I mean I believe whether it's still the rule of seven or not is a different story in our incredibly busy world but I believe in that very much that people do need to consistently see concepts and ideas and visuals and you know have some sort of emotive hook within all that in order for them to actually really understand and articulate that and kind of almost like distill it down for themselves in terms of what that means for them yeah. so you're kind of you're kind of out there and you're giving it to them but then they have to be willing to kind of take it and absorb it and that doesn't just happen and it's the so what point right so when the, the teams bring certain proposals to me it's like okay this is great but if I'm in the frame you know the mindset of a client and they say so what you just have to be thinking about why is this relevant to me? Why should I care about this? So what? Um, and, and we need to make sure that we're always testing ourselves against that and thinking about how the client views it and the candidate. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I think we can find ourselves, I find L&D busy themselves with efforts and communication efforts, particularly. I don't see a huge amount of strategic marketing going on, truthfully. It's a lot of comms. Um but they busy themselves with stuff that isn't isn't really kind of having that level of professional curiosity around it. Like, why are we doing this? What's the purpose of this? You know, I mean, in our masterclass, we say, don't write something if you can't answer why you're writing it. If you don't know what the purpose of it is, then don't send the email. 
you know, don't don't bother people because if you don't know, <laughs> they're certainly not going to get anything from it either. Which is really interesting. I'm certainly seeing, uh, and this is obviously just with a lens on my organisation, more sophistication there. And we partner quite closely with with L and D now in in our organisation to to help build out more of that strategic thinking. But they they are coming to it and being really clear about what value can we add. Why would someone want to invest time in doing this training, this development? How can we how can we support their career and add value to them and, and get them to see where the value is? Do you feel like that's evolving generally? I know you're asking the questions, but I'm just interested in your view on that. I think it is slowly, uh, you know, I mean, what mass has been around for about four years and I, I would like to think that we've had a role in educating the industry that marketing is something that needs to start happening because mm. we just, we genuinely can't continue the way that we're going, which is, you know, implement tech, it fails because nobody's using it. So we replace the old tech with new tech or throw another content library on it. Um, and so now we've kind of got this challenge in the L&D industry where people have quite good platform solutions that are absolutely saturated with learning content. And so people are starting to turn to try and understand okay, what do I actually do next? I, you know, I can't just keep on adding more and more and more. So I think there's definitely, in my opinion, a bit of a repositioning and an introspection going on with L&D in terms of what do we do for the business? You know, there's a big lens on the EVP and the employee va- mm. employer value proposition. And, you know, how do we actually add value to the the wider organization? And what does that look like? And how do we prove that? Um, you know, I think that there is still some element of proving value in the likes of attendance, completion rates, things like that, that obviously just don't have any kind of credible merit in a business landscape. It just says someone did something. Um, so I think there is, we're kind of going through this shift, but in my, you know, I've been in this industry nigh on a decade and nothing moves particularly quickly. Um, but I do think there is becoming a, a wider appetite to evolve our skill set and understand that actually, if we want to stay relevant to an organization and not, I don't know, get homogenized with talent, HR and become, you know, more of a broad people function or something, or, you know, just become a compliance powerhouse that's operational, really, then I think we, you know, we need to start thinking about where where things are going to go and what, what L&D needs to do in order to actually accommodate the business and be where it needs to be and have you know, learning solutions that are going to yeah. do that. I, and I think a lot of that will continue to be driven by the candidate. Obviously, the the market, the UK markets, the balance of power shifted a little at the moment, but I would still say the ball is very much in the candidate's court. And what we're seeing from the research that we do with candidates on a on a semi-regular basis is they absolutely want that development. If they're going Mm -hmm. to come and work, you talked about EVP, if they're going to come and work for your organization, they want to know how you are going to develop them as an individual. And they want the proof points of that. They want to hear it authentically from other individuals in the organization who have lived and breathed that and and seen it go through. So the importance of L&D, you can't understate it, but we have to be really clear on that value and communicate it out both internally and externally to to add value to the organization and make that that organization seem like a really positive place to come and work. Yeah, totally agree. And I think it's up to L&D to own that narrative mm. because 
Now, something I've repeatedly said is whether you think you have a brand or not, you do. You know, people already have a preconceived notion of what you are, what value you add or not, as the case may be. Yeah. You know, if their only experience is like mandatory training, they're not they're not going to have a particular and it's crappy mandatory training. They're <laughs> not going to have a, a great perspective and view of what L&D can bring to the table for them. Equally, if we're not very good at cutting through that noise in the organization, articulating that value becomes incredibly problematic because even if you have a really, really awesome learning offering and really robust learning experiences, it all falls down if no one knows it exists. So, you know, it, 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 but there is this just thought that, oh, well, I'll send an email and everyone will know. And I mean, what, do you know roughly what your your average open rate is for like, say, your B2B emails? It depends on the brands. So I wouldn't want to give an overall, but I wouldn't expect that to get a decent cut through. That's just one of many ways that we get get some uh, information out to our to our audiences. It's as you mentioned the the power of seven. There are so many ways you have to try and get in front of someone before they get visibility and before they even think about remembering. Let alone if this is a cold outreach, they don't know who you are and you're putting your brand out there and of course they're not going to prioritize that how many emails do we think they have in their inbox that's mm. going to go in the bin straight away because they need to clear out to make room for things that they know are important mm. um and it, it's the same with internal p- emails so we we manage the the internal comms with working with l and d and whilst our open rates are better because it's obviously a warm audience it's still not reaching everyone and there's still people who will say oh i didn't know about that well We've communicated it, but we clearly haven't hit the right channels. So how do we adapt that? How do we reach the different individuals, the different generations we have in the workforce in a different way? Because that's the other thing. You're talking about the most number of generations in a workforce that we've ever had, and that's only going to increase. So how do we how do we pitch what we're doing to those different segments? Mm. And I think the generation piece is quite interesting. In my head, I kind of thought of it in a, a different sort of view, which is, you know, maybe L&D has it kind of a different way where most organizations have quite a okay onboarding program. Yeah. So they get quite a lot of spoon feeding and handholding when they join the business. But then as their tenure increases, as they become more mature, um, they become less engaged. And I just saw some incredible data recently um, that kind of showed showed almost this exact correlation in an organization where a big, large organization had done some wonderful research where the more, the longer their employees stayed, um, the, the, le- <laughs> the less they knew about L&D and the less engaged they were. And so, you know, as I think that it's almost like internally, it doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily a generational thing, but that duration of time, that tenure yeah. could could definitely impact brand perceptions for sure. Um, and, you know, also define really how you might position yourselves and how you might talk to people differently. And it doesn't get any less important, does it? No, it's, this it's is why always, it's always even happen. if you've been there, you know, I've been in my organization seven years, I'm still taking advantage of any training that I can get my hands on to to make sure that I'm progressing and not standing still. But you're right, it's easier to access when you start in an organization. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it's it's very present at that time because you want to impress. So you're motivated mm. and engaged with learning because you want to do well in your job. But I think when we get, and I, I appreciate we're kind of bleeding into learning strategy here, but you know, 
most people say to me that they when we do discovery and stuff they want stuff that's relevant to their jobs you know not not necessarily I'm doing this job I don't need to know how to do my job I'm already doing my job I'm quite competent at doing my job but what what if I want to go to the next level what does that entail what if I want to become a people manager what does that entail um and there's not always a that level of directive even in the product so then selling the product becomes again difficult because you know you'd send people to a a place where it's a self-service solution. Go here is the world's your oyster. Go learn whatever you want. There's three thousand you know. courses to choose from, <laughs> maybe more, right? Yeah. And it it, it 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 that I think you know I'm trying to kind of distill down how best to articulate what I'm trying to say. But essentially, offering people the world is a really difficult marketing message, isn't it? Because you can't go to market and say we have everything. You just get to pick. You know, Netflix advertises specific titles that they have for a reason, right? So, you know, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, obviously you've been a, a marketer for a while. Um, you know, you you had multiple roles, as you said, you lead a large team at the moment, multiple brands. I'm curious what sort of tactics you found the most effective, or if there's anything that's kind of, I guess, become universally true as a marketer to from your experience, at least, mm. or things that just always seem to be applicable no matter where you've been. Yeah. So so I talked earlier about the so what test, absolutely applicable to anything, probably applicable to most roles, to be honest, and certainly applicable to L&D, making sure you are really clear. And then related to that is always obsessively making sure you've got the customer front of mind, whoever the customer is, and just thinking of it through their lens. So it might look shiny and new and funky to us, but is the is it right for the customer? Is it going to deliver what the customer needs? So testing with the customers, bringing them in and doing, you know, a bit of a workshop with them on, on what the solutions look like, obviously depending on what the industry is and whether that's appropriate, I, I think is critical. I think we organizations can be so guilty of just going ahead and doing what they think is right because mm-hmm. it's their organization and, and they think they know the direction of travel. And invariably, those are the companies that get left behind because they haven't listened to the voice of the customer and they haven't kept that front of mind. So that would be what I would say is is consistent across the different sectors I've worked in, uh, you know, and regardless of, of what it is you're talking to comp- customers about, what, what you're trying to sell to them is make sure you are thinking about them first. And it's the same with any of the the companies that I engage with as an individual they know what I want to hear. They've hit the nail on the head with whether that's advertising and they've brought me into the, you know, to the the circle of uh, individuals who are really engaged with them as a brand and they are thinking about what I need equally when they stop doing that is when I probably start to disengage. Sure. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree that what's in it for me is what I harp on about all the time. You know, if you can't answer that question, if your end users aren't able to satisfy that, <laughs> then they're going to be saying, so what, why should I do this? You know, oh, cool. Well, you, you want me to go and do X, Y, and Z. Well, great. I'm really motivated to do that. Now you're right. I do. I live my whole life by what the business tells me I should or should not be doing or what this company wants me to buy. You know, it's just, it's not how that, how it works. I always say, you know, say when I worked in house, you know, our, our head of marketing or our CEO is like, yeah, we need to sell more of this product. We don't just go to like, you know, we don't just build a marketing strategy that's like, hey, buy more of this, please. 
you know, but that's what we do in L&D. We pretty yeah. much do comms like that. Like we built this thing and it, oh, it's really modern. It's really cutting edge. All right. <laughs> Good. I, you know, and I think like that threshold of expectation in the audience is already there. Like that's not, that's not news. It should be yeah. cutting edge. It should be modern. The UI should be sleek. It should be requiring zero cognitive load for me to navigate and use. So, you know, I think that positioning is for me the most important part of all is, you know, what do you offer as a product? What are the pain points? What do your audience need? And where the heck is the overlap? You know, where mm. where do the two things unify? And even if you only have two channels to your name, then if you focus on that consistency piece and putting that audience at the front of everything that you do, obviously there is still skill sets in there, being able to write good copy, you know, something that I think is pretty universal in marketing. If you're not yeah. good at copywriting, it, it becomes a very difficult job. Um, but, you know, I think at least if you've got that foundational stuff in place, you're you're starting on the right foot. And also coping mechanisms. So you mentioned copywriting as an example. People, you know, their capabilities vary in that. But if we can teach them how to work around it, point them in the direction of the training and and it might be a controversial subject, but ChatGPT is an example, something that can help you create a foundation of something. Maybe you do the bullet points, it turns it into something slightly more complex and then you refine it. Mm -hmm. There's so many more tools out there. And I imagine ChatGPT is an example, Bard, et cetera, et cetera, are, are things that could be useful for L&D where they are not historically trained in copywriting and maybe they're pulling together emails to advertise you know, all of their their wares to, to people internally. And, and we should be helping them to leverage that and find the training around that too. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it can be a very useful tool if it's used exactly how you describe it. I, I think where the challenge comes in is people see it almost as a, a shortcut. Like, oh, great. Yeah, ChatGPT is going to write all my emails for me. Well, unless you've spent a huge amount of work developing prompts that are very deep and useful, you're still going to get something that doesn't quite write right. It doesn't, it doesn't sound right. So I was on a very popular yeah. secondhand marketplace that I will not name uh, the other day. and they you, you can. We're not on the BBC. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Other brands are available. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I they've got – it was eBay, actually. Um, okay. But they've just launched their AI description generator, and oh. it was terrible. Mm -hmm. It just didn't – it, it read fine, like in terms of the English, it was all accurate, but it you would read it and know it wasn't written by a human. And, and I can't always get to the nub of what that is, but it's not good when you know that a human didn't write that. You need to make, we need to make sure that people are educated into how the, to use those tools and leverage them to the best effect. And that will be you know, you talk about, you see the films with people with plugins in their brain and their hands and it, you know, makes them all artificially improved, enhanced. It will be the gap between those who are at the top of their game and people who are not. The people who can leverage this technology and this AI and all of those sorts of things will be a huge differentiator in talent. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I think it's, it is a, it's a friend, 
And I think it just hasn't fully taken shape. I actually did a recording um, with an individual in the L&D industry who's, who knows a lot more than this. It's going to come out soon um, on AI. And I, I learned a lot from her because <laughs> at that stage, I didn't know anything really. I've tinkered with it at best. But I do I do think it's understanding the role that it plays. And what what we're finding is, say, say in L&D, we're finding again these quick kill solutions to content creation so like i just saw today articulate storyline has released some sort of ai thing i I was just like i just weep for our industry so i didn't read too much of it but you know this isn't the solution you know if we want to have a if we want to engage our audiences with a high quality product then getting our pdfs or our powerpoints and pushing them through a storyline ai and getting that converted into a scorm rap d learning module is not any better <laughs> this is you know this is in my opinion not where ai is gonna flourish um yeah. but i do think you know i do think that's a really valuable point is recognizing the skills gaps and identifying what can support in you know in lieu of that that capability being built because you know copywriting is a good example because i think in my experience i've met plenty of people who are able to write but very few who can write well and, you know, everyone can write. Everyone's a copywriter, right? Everyone writes emails. Everyone does a lot of comms. To actually, you know, write the writing that engages, that doesn't sound like a, a robot and has some panache and some personality to it, that's that's a little bit of a, a difficult skill to build, I think. And it isn't something that's just, you know, go on this little copywriting course and your life's better. Um, I think it's a, it's a complex skill yeah. set. Can I ask you, and um, apologies if you don't know the answer off the bat, but just because we're talking about skill sets of marketers and, you know, what what kind of core skills we might need, what do you think a good marketer needs in their skill set arsenal? I would say the ability to be agile, and that might sound like a bit of a vague answer, but you'll know this just as well as I do. You start the year with a plan whenever your year starts and it's very well thought out and you've got a very clear view of what it looks like from a strategy perspective. And then something changes in the the broader environment and is absolutely not applicable anymore. And you have to shift and you have to pivot. And so I think that that agility and that resilience is super important with marketing. It, The world has never moved faster than it moves today, but it will also move much slower than it moves tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So that agility and that resilience, again, it's probably true in most roles, is absolutely essential. And just because what you did worked last time doesn't mean it's going to keep working every time. You know, we did an email to this audience and it worked. Okay, that's not going to be the same every time and it's not going to translate to every organization. So how do you evolve and learn your approach based on the data, the latest data that you're getting as well as this work before? So let's try that again, but let's try and make sure we're keeping an eye on the data and those insights to go along. I think I, I do think that data piece is critical. Mm. I also think in marketing, we're at risk of drowning in data where we need to get to is insights. So being really clear about what the key data, what the key metrics are that you're measuring, pick a handful and focus on that um, and and use that to drive your performance in marketing, whatever it is that you're marketing. Um, And and be 
really hyper focused on those metrics. Other metrics, you know, great and influence, but be clear on what they are, agree what they are with the business. So the business is bought into those metrics too, and then deliver against that. Oh, I wish we would do that in L&D. <laughs> well, I mean, L&D isn't the most data-led function in my experience. Sometimes they have quite a lot of data through their learning platform. Um, but you may remember this from back in the day when you worked vendor side with me, actually getting so now we, we're in a conundrum with marketing so we try and get every single one of our clients to benchmark you know where are you now you know how do you know where you've gotten to if you don't know where you started all that lovely stuff and much to what you've repeatedly said around that you know iteration loop of testing learning and applying that learning to improve your approaches furthermore um but we have a, we have a bit of a difficulty in that you know there's not a huge amount of martech accessible. Most of my clients don't even have an ESP. So they're still sending mail merge outlook type stuff. I know. <laughs> Laura just grabbed her chest for those of you that are listening. <laughs> so, you know, they're dealing with slightly different problems. Um, um, and on top of that, so we've got this whole kind of marketing data set, you know, they can't necessarily easily measure things like open rate, click through rate, things like that. Um, they can't really monitor the performance of their social media posts or the things they put out on their internet, barring uh, largely superficial engagement stats, which, yes, can can suggest a, or indicate an interest or an increase in interest amongst your audience. But that doesn't signify that people have then gone on to do what you want them to do, i.e. undertake some level of learning. And then the subsequent side of that is once they did the learning, did they apply it? Did that change their performance? Did that change their performance positively impact the business? So we've kind of got this like very broken thing where marketing's over here in one area, the learning is siloed somewhere else. And then how it serves the business just is very, very rarely correlated yeah. um and so i think that's kind of how we've ended up where we are is that there's no one up until recently within the business kind of saying well what value do you add because no one's asking that question so we just haven't been challenged to actually to prove our worth and prove our value but i think with the evp and things like that it is starting to shift a little bit more and there is a bit more pressure to perform but also from a budget seats. perspective, and again, same, you know, connected to what we see in marketing. If you prove your value, you can you can ask for more budget. It's the same in marketing. If I'm just throwing money at things and not driving any value, of course I'm not going to get a bigger budget. It's just it's just maths. But it's the same for for L and D. If they're investing in programs and they can't show the returns. There's going to be limited desire, particularly in an environment like we're in at the moment, to invest more in that. Whereas if they can show the value, they can show that what they're bringing back to the organization, their retention rates are higher, their uh, productivity rates are higher, whatever it is that you're measuring, then it's a no-brainer to invest in it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I think... That you, I think you said earlier, you know, marketing internally, not just to your learners, but actually to key stakeholders, right? A big part of what we don't do is we don't we don't even try to articulate our value to stakeholders at all. So, you know, that'll get the seat at the table story. But, you know, it is it is true. We're not very good at marketing ourselves in, in general. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's just a difficult thing. You know, I think even just saying to you there, like, we just have Outlook and people can't make, you know, their mail merging and stuff. 
if you only had would you be would you be disheartened if someone turned around and said to you right you can only use three marketing channels for 2024 yes (laughs) (laughs) yes definitely I mean we I just I just don't think that's realistic in this day and age Hmm. it's just internally is a different question I guess because how many comms channels do you really have internally though right like yeah email kind of like office type environments whether that's like posters and that type of thing or um whether it's you know screens things like that I mean to be honest if you want my my humble opinion where the untapped channels are is in the form of human channels um yeah. so creating creating channels out of people um and Having making them be yeah and, and and educating them and providing them with the information that's necessary to cascade up and down so usually when we do strats we're looking at kind of a bottom up and a top down cadence and activating people-based channels because yeah. if you just look at the comms channels that Mar- that D will have it's usually an email ability of some kind and the ability to segment within that is narrow at best there's usually some sort of social thing like a like a yammer or yeah. a teams or something like that there is often a sharepoint or an intranet of the such like and there are usually a couple of other things like maybe uh the global newsletter that goes out from internal comms once a month that's already a mountain of information that people don't ever want to read but that's, I mean, you know, really, if you look at it as just kind of like pure comms channels, those are kind of, that's the, the basis of it. Yeah. And so it's a really different cookie compared to, you know, what you're, what you're doing, where you have the scale and the scope. But the challenge, the, I guess the strategy is still the same. You just have different channels. You have, you have a different way to reach people. But if you keep that core of that person being at the center of it, whether you have one channel, I mean, we use, I think, two mostly with mass. You know, you don't have to have all the channels in the world. Yeah. And if you think about the the power of that, when you get it right, and it's hard to get right, but activating that advocacy piece, people want to buy from people. They don't want to mm. buy from an email. And obviously buying is an interesting phrase for it when you're talking about L&D, but... I don't think so. I think it's still a transaction of their time, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But they... They ultimately, if they hear from a colleague, a manager, or whatever it is, who they rate, that who they are inspired by, they're more likely to want to go ahead and do it, and they're more likely to complete it. Mm. Well, you something you said earlier is, you know, someone wants to, with the EVP, like they want to hear from the horse's mouth what mm. other people have gotten value-wise yeah. from this. and They want authenticity. Absolutely. Social proof. Right. Mm. And it's something that, again, we don't do enough of in our industry. And, and it's 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 doing us a disservice because, you know, it is a totally different story than someone from L&D going, we've got a new leadership program. Go and do it. Then me turn around to my mate and going, oh, I don't know about that. Like, it's probably going to be a waste of time. Oh, no, I went on it last year. It was actually really good. Yeah. Totally different. Just from that one conversation. If it's someone I trust. And someone I respect the opinion of, maybe someone more senior than me, whatever, I will go take a look at it. Then yeah. if you've got a nice journey after that, then, you know, good, golden, great. But I think that's why you can't just rely on just kind of your more traditional um, marketing channels in that kind of internal scope, because it's such a narrow 
um, space that's yeah. very, very saturated anyway. So people is the best way to spread the word, as it were. Mm, definitely. So we are just getting really close to time. So there was one final question that I wanted to ask you just to close off. For those of us that are starting out in marketing, which is pretty much the the bulk or the majority of our listenership or our learning folk who have their learning hat on, great at learning strategy, really, you know, got their shit down on that side, but they're really new to learning, uh, to marketing, sorry. And so what would be your biggest tip as an experienced marketer who has multiple feathers in her cap? What would be your best tip for those starting out? So I'll give a really specific one and then I'll give a broader one and I'll flip the order around and start with the broader one. I would say making sure you have an open mind to opportunities um, when you're starting out in your career and, and throughout is critical. I think some of the best opportunities I've got in my career are just from saying yes to things, even if I didn't quite know how it was going to work out or how I was going to deliver on it, just saying yes and getting involved, not to the point that you're drowning yourself in too many things to do, but just getting stuck in and getting involved is really valuable, I think. And I think people are often, particularly women, afraid to say yes of getting stuck into things and putting their their hand up uh, mm -hmm. because they're afraid of not succeeding in it. And I think people need to do more of that. The specific tip I would give if you are wanting to know more about marketing, there are so many blogs out there, but I would say an organization that I would trust and direct people towards would be HubSpot. I think they've mm -hmm. got a lot of great free content that people can look at and learn more about in terms of everything from segmentation to different channel approaches, all of that sort of thing. They've got various courses that you can complete. I, I would start there. I'm sure there are other really good courses, but um, I, I rate them. I trust them in terms of the content they're putting out there and they are they are very good at what they do. Where I started, you know, when I started at Kineo, I was a little marketing coordinator, green behind the ears, knew nothing about marketing, but was very eager. Um, and we got HubSpot and I just did all the academy stuff and just devoured as much information as I could. So, you know, I think it it is not it doesn't even require a stretch of the imagination to engage with that content and see how it applies to an internal yeah. audience you know there's I've said many times you could go and read a marketing blog and change the word customer to learner and it, it would still make sense and it would Absolutely. still 95% apply so I think those are some fantastic tips and I will put a link to the HubSpot resources area in the show notes as well. Laura, this has been a fantastic conversation not only just to reconnect with you and say hey um, but I think you know, it, it's astonishing how similar some of your pain points are, but also how much you've echoed a lot of what we say in this podcast already around, you know, that what's in it for me. So what is this, you know, this, I've honestly not paid her to say this, um, but, you know, I, I thank you so much for coming and giving me your time. I know you're incredibly busy, but allowing our audience to see what marketing's like for someone who's handling it on a much bigger scale, um, but still grappling with the same challenges and complexities that we are here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. See you later. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.